So, Matt, I don't know if you know this or not, but I, I used to be into f- photography, you know, and, and I had a whole bunch of equipment and everything, and I was trying to make a living out of it, but I ended up having to quit that because I kept losing focus. <laughs> yeah. Man. Yeah. It's like, it's like the Milton Burl show. Or- <laughs> <laughs> Red Skelton. <laughs> Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the graveyard. Thank you for joining us tonight. My name is Adam. And my name's Matt. Now, pull up a tombstone or settle into your casket and get comfortable because this is Graveyard Tales. All right, everybody. Here we are again. Matt, how you doing tonight, brother? Man, I'm pretty good. Um, it's been kind of a hectic week, but it's always good to get back in the graveyard and relax a little bit and have some fun. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we wanted to real quick tell everybody that uh, you can go check out Podbelly at podbelly.com if you want to find different podcasts to listen to and find out you know different ways to record and and tips and stuff like that they've got all that there so go check them out at podbelly.com their theme ought to be podbelly (laughs) maybe that's taken yeah i think it is and i don't think that's on the open market yet (laughs) Uh, we also wanted to thank tonight's sponsors better help and shutter Um, We'll talk more about them later, but by visiting our sponsors and using the codes that they give us, that kind of lets the sponsors know that they can keep coming back to us and it helps Matt and I out tremendously. So if you're able to go check out one of our sponsors, use the discount code that we've got, and we put the sponsors and the discount codes up on our website. So if you can't remember what we say... You can either go look in the show notes or go over to our website, and we've got the codes and the sponsors and the the links and all that stuff there. Yeah, and 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 it's it's great for the show, but in reality, we've got some fantastic sponsors, and these are some killer deals on some of these services that have decided to advertise on graveyard tales. So, you know, take advantage of right. them. I mean, you know, there there are some really, really good opportunities for you to experience something for not a whole lot of money that you probably wouldn't just go and seek out yourself, you know, but it gives you the opportunity to to try something new or try something maybe a little outside of your comfort zone that you, like I said, wouldn't go seek out on a regular day. Exactly. And Matt and I, we probably aren't at the level where we really should be doing this, but we do do this. We don't take every sponsor that's handed to us. You know, we 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 actually look into these, and and if they're a good company, then we agree to do it. But if if Matt and I don't really feel like it, it's something that you guys would enjoy, or that Matt and I would enjoy, or you know, we don't believe it's a good service then we don't do it 
And right. that may, you know, like I said, that may be a little bougie on our part and we're not to that level yet. And maybe we should take all of them that come to us. But, you know, I, just said bougie I did. I've, I've never said that before. I, I feel I didn't even know what bougie was until about six months ago. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, that's about the same time I learned it. So I figured, why not get with the crowd? You know, everybody else is saying it. Um, but yeah, so if, if we promote it on the show, then Matt and I really do believe in it. We're not just putting, you know, stuff out there to, to yeah. make a buck. So here's some, here's some crap. Give it a try. Yeah. No, we're not like that. Yeah. All right, Matt. So let's take a second and talk about one of tonight's sponsors, a new sponsor for Graveyard Tales, and that's Better Help. H-E-L-P. Now, is there something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals like a co-host that nags you about the way you say certain words on the show? Well, if so, BetterHelp can help you out. Now, BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating in under 48 hours. And remember, this is not a crisis line. It's not self-help. This is professional counseling done securely online, which is great. I mean, everything now is is online. You can't go anywhere. So what a better way to be able to get help, to be able to talk to someone that can help you out by doing it online and going to better help. Now, there is a broad range of expertise available, which may not be locally available in many areas. And that's true. If you're in a smaller town, you may not have access to some of the help that you can get on BetterHelp. Now, the service is available to clients worldwide. So if you're listening to Graveyard Tales and you're not in the United States, you can still take advantage of this offer. And you can log into your account anytime and send a message to your counselor. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as with traditional therapy. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. That's great. It's more affordable. Yeah, it's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. Visit their website and read their testimonials that are posted daily. Visit betterhelp.com slash grave. That's better H-E-L-P. And join the over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. That's right. There's a special offer for Graveyard Tales listeners. You can get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash grave. That's betterhelp.com slash G-R-A-V-E. So, Matt, since we're fantastic at segues, and I've said this several times before, I, I don't have a good way of doing a segue from what we were just talking about to what we're about to talk about. So let's just do it. Matt, tell us, what are we talking about tonight, brother? Okay. Tonight, we're, we're going to explore the, the phenomenon and the history of spirit photography. Mm-hmm. And 
And you may go, hey, guys, what is spirit photography? Well, it's it's exactly what you think. It's taking a picture of a spirit or ghost, or at least the process of trying. But what you may not know is that spirit photography has some really, really interesting history. Yeah. It, it has some some beginnings. It, it didn't just start with a guy and a camera going, I'm going to go to this place that we think is haunted and try to take a picture of a ghost. Right. Okay. So um, that's where we are today, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. But, but how did we get to this point? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I think that's what you're going to find so, so interesting. We're going to talk about some pretty famous photographs of ghosts, or at least suspected photographs of ghosts. And, and we're going to give you some tips on how to try this yourself. So you're going to get another Graveyard Tales DIY. I have missed um, these, Matt. I've missed this is, the, the... This is going to be, you can try this at home. <laughs> exactly. I have missed the the you know the old school graveyard tales list of things to try that's you know? right that's right and so we're we're gonna we're gonna give you the opportunity to try this yourself i'm glad it's coming back so <laughs> <laughs> but yeah like like matt was saying they, spirit photography has been around for a long time and i honestly have been kind of fascinated by it for a while and you know there's fakes out there which we'll we'll discuss that there's obvious fakes out there but then there's also ones that don't have an easy explanation, and and we'll we'll get into that here. But you know, like Matt was saying, you got to know what spirit photography is. So what is spirit photography? Well, it's a type of photographer photography photography. <sighs> no, that's fairy photography. Oh, okay, yeah, that, that, yeah, that's something. Totally photographing different. the face. Sorry, I didn't typo here. <laughs> photography. Um, who's primary attempt is to capture images of ghosts and other spiritual entities so this information comes from american hauntings website and i thought they had um you know a good bit of information here so we'll, we'll go off what they got it says the actual practice of attempting to capture ghosts on film dates back nearly a century and a half to around 1861 not surprisingly, this type of photography has been controversial and the subject of much debate ever since. The reason that is most given for the lack of widespread acceptance of the credibility of spirit ph- photographs is that the photographs of the past were so riddled with fraud. So, just like we said, there's so many fakes out there, it makes everybody go, ah. You know, you debunk one and yeah. the and they're all phony exactly exactly and we see that so often in stuff dealing with uh fortiana that yeah if people debunk one uh you know bigfoot yeah. footprints uh uh any ghost photo any ufo event well i debunked this one so they're all fake and yep. and i'm not listening to anything from here on out and it's sad and you know what's amazing to me is that you know you said the the photographs of the past and we're talk we're talking about the the mid to late 1800s were riddled with fraud there was there was no photoshop right i mean this took some effort yeah if you were fake faking one then, then i've got i've got uh, you know i'm proud of you so yeah it was it was hard enough just to take a photograph <laughs> right you know, much less 
fake a photograph. You know, now, I mean, I don't even know how you believe any picture that you see. You know, this know. is a legit picture with no filters. I'm like baloney. I'm mm-hmm. like, you know, my kids can't take a picture without a filter on it ever. <laughs> right, right. You know, so, yeah, I mean, you know, we're, we, you know, they didn't have, you know, it, it, like I said, it wasn't easy. They didn't have all these modern uh, apps and technology to to fake it, yet they still did it. Right. So during this episode, let, let's look at spirit photography as if it were legit. You know, all, all the ones that we're going to talk about are going to be as legit. As if it were well, I have to preface that because I know there's people out there that are going to say, why are you talking about this? It's obviously fake. So I want you to remove that bias that you have and let's just talk about it and we'll see where we get by the end of the episode. Yeah. And, and while Adam's talking about this, I want you to think about something. Cheese. In, in, in order to fake something well. You, you've got to be pretty damn close to being able to do it anyway. Right. I mean, you know, if if I'm going to if I'm going to fake a motorcycle jump and and make it believable, then I, I've already got to be able to jump a motorcycle. Mm-hmm. So if I'm going to be able to fake this, I, I've already got to be really close to actually capturing something on film. Uh, or, or or on a glass plate that is pretty close to to what we're we're trying to fake anyway. That's I mean, true. You know, that's true. So you know, so so think about that. I mean, don't just oh well, you know, they just didn't decide. Yeah, I think I'm gonna fake a photograph. There was already something there that made them think. Hmm. We we may be capturing something weird here, right? And then then it's kind of like. Oh, well, we can embellish it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Pretty much. So this is, it's spirit photography that seems to provide the most scientific e- evidence of ghost. It is one of the only methods of capturing ghostly phenomena that approaches the standards of science. So that's true. I mean, if we're talking about scientific analysis of hunting ghosts, that photography is one of the closest that we get to the scientific method. Yeah. So and, and probably the one thing we have the least amount of actual evidence. And yeah, exactly. <laughs> so the reason for this, uh, the reasons for this are fairly simple and include the fact that genuine spirit photos are clearly a physical phenomena. The amount of energy that goes into making such a photo can be measured by the way it appears in the image. So a method of attempting to establish replication is possible. And finally, that it may be possible at some point to develop explanations for how spirit photographs are made and why they exist. And I, I really hope we can figure it out. It, it, I, I think there needs to be more scientific research done on it, but we'll keep going and I, I won't break in and uh, <laughs> rant too much. I'll, I'll try not to. I'm like, man, man, we we're we're barely into the show, and you're already begging for tangents. <laughs> I know, I know, and I, I, I thought about that That's when I started I'm like, talking. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna let this one ride because <laughs> we're we're gonna get off, we're gonna get off track quickly. Right. We'll we'll wait till later to do it. 
<laughs> so spirit photography is what seems to be the effect of radiation of some sort on photosensitive film. Such results continue today, although much has changed from the early days of photography. In those days, the photographer first had to prepare a glass plate by coating it with a film of collodion. This is gun cotton dissolved in ether. Now, this contained iodine, uh, iodide of potassium, and you sensitize it by dipping it into a bath of silver nitrate and then take the photograph while the plate was still wet. So, okay. just to get okay. one we, photo, it was a lot of stuff. Yeah, we've, we've, we've already got to hit this. Just listen to the, how complex that sounds. Yeah. How, how did people figure out how to do this to begin with? Right. That's an amazing you feat. Know, gun cotton dissolved in ether. Yep. That in and of itself is like, who said, well, let's try gun cotton and ether and see if we can't capture an image of what's going on. And when that itself didn't work, they said, well, wait, maybe it's got to contain iodide of potassium, and then we need to de- dip it in a bath of silver nitrate. Yeah. Somewhere in, somewhere we got a listener going, that's a, that's a professional photographer going, well, if you knew the history of photography and how film was... Yeah, right. <laughs> we, we don't. Yeah, we, we don't know any of that. So <laughs> we don't. That, that's why we're so amazed this by just, it. This just looks very very complex right. for someone to have been able to develop. Yeah. And I, pun, pun unintended. <laughs> it was a good one, though, intended or not. <laughs> now, spirit photography of today differs greatly from that of days gone by, however. As mentioned already, the fraudulent spirit photography of the past has damaged the reputation of modern efforts, making it difficult for today's ghost hunters to be taken seriously. Just the mention of, quote, spirit photography tends to conjure up images of days gone by, a period that was plagued with questionable methods of often humorous results. But were all the photographs of the past fake images that were created, you know, to fake people out uh, of their money and all that? Well, it's been claimed that spirit photographs were first produced by accident and only when unscrupulous photographers realized the wealth to be made from them were the first fraudulent images produced. But were they all frauds, or did a few fakes muddy the water for the many? And that, that's what we talked about a minute ago. You know? Yeah. So, you had to be pretty stinking close yeah. to have something to go, hmm, we can fake this. Well, and like this, like this article is saying is it, the legit spirit photographs came out first so if if you didn't know that it was possible you know before that who would have thought oh well i'm gonna fake an image of this ghost and it's gonna look like this on the the image you know or i'm gonna fake this part of it you would have to have seen one or heard of one to know what you've got to then do to fake it yeah you gotta have a baseline yeah you got to have something that somebody says that this is what I captured by accident. And then you can go, Hmm. Okay. Yeah. How do, how do I, I, fake I also it? captured this by accident? Yeah. Right. It's, it's, it's my grandmother hoeing the front garden, mm-hmm. you know, but look, it's a ghost, right? You can tell because she would have never used that particular hoe. Yeah. Right. <laughs> That's just what's available at the the spirit realm feed and seed store. 
So the first, quote, official spirit photograph has been credited to a Boston engraver named William Mumler, um, an, uh, an experienced and enthusiastic amateur photographer with a studio on Washington Street. Now, while developing some experimental self-portraits of himself, I don't like the way that's written. While developing some experimental self-portraits of himself. <laughs> well, yeah, how else are you going to say It's it? a little redundant, though. Don't it you is. think? Uh, in the dictionary under redundant, it says see redundant. Yeah, exactly. Um, a developed plate showed the image of a young woman standing next to him. As he examined the picture, he recognized the figure as that of a cousin who had died 12 years earlier. He later recalled that while posing for the photograph, he had experienced a strange trembling sensation in his right arm that left him feeling exhausted. So this is saying the first uh, photograph was a it was a self photograph that he was alone in the room. He took the picture and then when he was developing it, there was a girl over here behind him. Yeah. And that would freak me out now if I were to take a selfie and there would be yeah. a ghost standing behind me. Yeah. Also, Mumbler was credited with having the first photo bomb. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Pretty much. I see that now. So the photograph att attracted a lot of attention and came out during the expansion of the spiritualist movement. Now, it was investigated by both the spiritualist and by prominent photographers of the day who came to, be to believe Mumbler's statement on the subject, which said, quote, the photograph was taken by myself of myself, and there was not a living person in the room besides myself. Now, Mumler was soon overwhelmed by public demand for similar photographs, and he began taking two hours each day from his regular work as an engraver for Bigelow Brothers and Kennard, one of Boston's best jewelers. Soon, he gave up his job entirely and devoted all of his efforts just to spirit photography. So he was in high demand if that's what he could do. Yeah. So I, I want something like that. I want to just find something by accident. That you're amazing at? It, it just take off so I can just, I have to quit my job and dedicate the rest of my career to to this. Right, right. You know. Going to yeah. your boss and you're like, so I got to quit. And you got a got a, another job? Well, sort of. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm in a, such high demand for finger puppets and shadow puppets <laughs> that I've got to quit this so I can go practice and get better. And <laughs> I, I never knew I was so good yeah. at this. I mean, you know, and then you just go this check this out coin. and you do your hand thing and, you know. But as ridiculous as that sounds, imagine Mumler having to tell the Bigelow brothers that he's leaving because he's gonna follow his his passion of taking pictures of ghosts. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna go take pictures of things that can't normally be seen. Yeah, imagine okay. what they they were like. All right, we don't want you working here anyway. Yeah. We didn't know you were this weird, <laughs> right? <laughs> and unless the the Bigelow brothers were spiritualist, then they would right. probably be thinking, "Oh, he's drinking on the job anyway," you know. So. Right. So, but speaking of spiritualist, uh, we got to talk about what the spiritualist movement is um, that we mentioned just a minute ago, because we need to look at this movement and see if it might explain something about spirit photography that 
you know, would help us understand why it became so popular. Now, spiritualism, the belief that the dead communicate with the living, became a fad throughout America and Europe during the 1850s. Spiritualism, which owes its beginnings to Emanuel Swedenborg, um, he had some writings on the spirit world. Um, it received additional stimulus from Anton Mesmer's experiments in what he called, quote, animal magnetism or hypnotism. Um, and Matt, we may have to do an episode on hypnotism because I've read up a little bit on that. And it seems like we could do a cool episode on it. Yeah, I'm kind of surprised that we haven't already. I know with the other things that we've done. I mean, yeah, I, I, it's just it's just never struck me. Yeah, but yeah, that I think that would be a great episode. So stay tuned. Uh, there will be a Graveyard Tales hypnotism episode. Probably not next, but soon. Yeah, not next. We've already got that picked out. <laughs> we've had those but, picked out but for a it while. Will be, it it will be Graveyard Tales soon. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so three years from now. <laughs> Right after we do the Superhumans episode. Man, <laughs> I'm telling you, <laughs> I cannot wait. That's, that's one of those jokes for the people that have listened for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Anton Mesmer, uh, he believed uh, these, the animal magnetism, he believed involved the influence of celestial bodies upon terrestrial so many Victorians, particularly those who had begun to abandon conventional religion, fervently believed in spiritualism. Now, Elizabeth Barrett Browning among them, uh, much to the dismay of her husband. Although the Victorian era is often associated with scientific and technological progress, many Victorians were prone to the paranormal, supernatural, and occult, of which the most popular forms in the late Victorian period, including mesmerism, clairvoyance, electrobiology, crystal gazing, thought reading, and above all, spiritualism. So Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, like many late Victorians, was fascinated by the possibility of communicating with the departed souls. Now, it's generally agreed that the modern spiritualist movement began on April 1st, 1848, in the village of Hydesville, New York when two teenage sisters, Margaret and Kate Fox, and I'm sure if you know anything about ghosts and stuff like that, you have heard of the Fox sisters. We've talked about them before. Yeah. Yeah. So that that's when it started. Well, they claimed that they had communicated with the ghost of a man murdered at the house years before their family moved in. Now, reports of this event first appeared in the New York Tribune and subsequently in other newspapers in America and in Europe. Well, the core belief of spiritualism was that the living could communicate with the dead through the help of a medium endowed with a supernatural gift during mysterious and entertaining seance phenomena. Mm-hmm. So entertaining being the key. Exactly. Word. Exactly. Because there were a lot of seance charlatans out there. Say that 10 times fast, Fa- fast. <laughs> there were, <laughs> there were a lot of seance charlatans. Man, say I'm having trouble speaking tonight. Normally it's you. You gave it to me. I know. I know. Now, I, 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 but now you've, you've cursed me. Off everything. <laughs> well, that's, that's fine. As long as we're both doing it, that's fine. <laughs> so within the late Victorian counterculture of spiritualism, a number of women and men gained renown and authority as skilled mediums. 
and you know we go back and listen to our mediumship episode if you want to know more about that now this goes on to say that modern spiritualism a quote strange and fascinating american import emerged in britain in 1852 when the american Maria B. Hayden visited London and offered her her services as a medium. She conducted seances of table wrappings and spirit messages for a guinea per head. Um, so that was, uh, it says five, five guineas for 10. So you get a discount if you, if you go up. Yeah, you know. You get half off for 10 people. Now, in short time, similar seances were offered by a host of local mediums. Now, in the late Victorian era, a great number of people admitted to having communications with ghosts. Victorian spiritualism, also known as the spiritualism movement, emerged in the late 19th century and attracted people from different social classes, including Queen Victoria. Now, this says it should be noted that Victorian spiritualism was particularly attractive to women because they were regarded as more spiritual than men. I'll give you that. Um, A female medium was often considered a better communicator than a male medium because she had an allegedly uh, better predisposition to spiritual perfectibility. Even to this day, women are better communicators than men. Oh, yeah. I mean, 100%. And I'm not even talking about spiritualists. I'm talking about just... Don't ask me how I'm feeling. I can't communicate that. You know, that that doesn't doesn't help. So um, even then they were saying that, you know, a female medium was better at the job than a man. And I I can believe that. But to kind of go off the rails a little bit, um, it's still talking about spirit photography, but also these seances. When you type in spirit photography into Google and you image search it, some of the first things you're going to see are from seances. You're going to see pictures taken from seances in the Victorian period. And they're the ones of the, quote, ectoplasm that these mediums have, you know, coming out of their mouth or coming out of their nose around their ears and, you know, all that stuff. And that that's the, the, the fakes that Matt and I mentioned when, when you look at it, that's obviously they're faking it with cotton and that's when, you know, you're, you're charging a guinea per head and, and you're just wanting to make money. So you'll put on these fake seances and, and take fake photographs for people. Mm -hmm. So now we need to get back to the, the ghosty pictures that we were talking about. (laughs) The ghosty, the ghosty pictures. pictures. Now, William Black, who was a leading Boston photographer and the inventor of the acid nitrate bath, and this says it's an important uh, Im- improvement in the photographic process. So he, he was big into photography. He was one of the professional photographers who investigated Mumler and his methods. So while attending a sitting in Mumler's studio, Black carefully examined his camera, plate, dipper and bath and even kept his eye on the plate from the moment its preparation began until it was sensitized and locked in the dark slide now after his portrait was taken black removed it from the camera himself and took it to the dark room where as it was developed he saw the figure of a man leaning over his shoulder 
he had no explanation for its appearance. So this is a professional photographer, and he's, he's you know, he watched the whole process to make sure that there was no funny business going on. And he even went and developed the picture himself, you know, trying yeah, to say, he, if I do this, it's not going to happen. And it sure enough happened. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, professional photographer or not, you know, he's in there as a skeptic. And he says, listen, I, I'm not going to let you fool me. Right. I'm going to watch you, you know, see exactly (laughs) i'm gonna watch you prepare you know the the slide Mm -hmm. from start and once it's in the camera you're not gonna touch it again right and i'm gonna take it out and i'm gonna develop it myself because i'm gonna eliminate there being any kind of trickery or sleight of hand or any of that stuff Mm -hmm. and and it happened so, I mean, in this case, not only do you got to believe Mumbler, you, you've got to believe that that Black is telling the truth and he's not in cahoots. Right. But, I mean, you know, Black had a reputation. Oh, yeah. You know, so, I mean, he's certainly, he's going in here to try to tell everybody this is completely false. This guy is a total fraud, which, you know, Mumbler, 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 <laughs> Mumbler. Is is allowing him to do mumbler this. is us, we're the yeah, mumblers. Mumbler, yeah, but he's allowing Black to come in and do this. So that right there says he at least had some confidence. Yeah. that this was going to work. Right. Um, you know, and and wasn't wasn't trying to uh, to to flim flam, and by by letting black have this much access to it yeah if he was a charlatan and just faking it he wouldn't have done that because it would have you know it, it would have sold him out right, right there he wouldn't he would have, have had some excuse yeah yep you know oh well you can't you can't go in this dark room yep. you know you can't do this you know i can't let you do this because i've got this secret formula that really works and i i don't want to get that whatever he didn't do any right. of that and if it came out blank, he would have said, oh, the spirits just aren't with us tonight. You know, uh, yeah. you've scared the spirits off. But I mean, that that brings up a question then that I have that we don't have an answer to. But but it's something that I wondered. You've got all these other photographers like Black himself was a photographer. He's not getting these same spiritual images on his photography. So why is Mumler? Is there something about Mumler that he's a medium himself? Is is he able to, you know, strengthen a ghost with his own energy to where they can then appear on the the photograph if he's the one in the room? You know what? Why do you think it is that Mumler is one of the few at this time that's catching the the quote unquote legit spirits on film? Yeah, and and I think that at least in the in the reading that I did, he he began at some point to promote himself as such that there was something about him that brought the spirits in right. you know that that actually 
um, enhanced the ability for him to one take the picture, but two to say if you come to me and have me do this photo session, then you're gonna get it. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're gonna capture whatever whatever it is you're you're aiming to get. You know, if you you want to see if one of your long lost relatives shows up as a ghost in this photograph. I'm I'm your man, right? You know, I I I'm gonna be the one that's gonna capture it because I've got, you know, I've got all the genesis qua to make that happen. Yeah, I make my own I my own film. I don't buy it from Kodak. You know, Kodak <laughs> they put a, a spirit filter on there which cuts it out. So. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, Adam, you know what's right around the corner? What's that? October. Oh, yeah. And what does everybody love to do in October? Uh, eat candy. Besides that? Uh, what's that? Watch scary movies. Oh, yeah, that's true. And you know one of the greatest ways to watch your favorite thriller and horror movies is with Shudder from AMC Network. Oh, yeah. Shudder is a premium video service brought to you by AMC Networks that offers an unbeatable selection of expertly curated horror, supernatural, and thrillers uncut and commercial free with exclusive and original titles you won't find anywhere else. Start your free trial today risk-free. That's right. And you can stream great thrillers, horror, and suspense for $5.99 a month or $56.99 a year. That's a fantastic deal. Now, Shudder has the largest, fastest-growing, human-curated selection of thrilling and dangerous entertainment. It's been called the Netflix of horror, and I can see that. Now, there are new spine-tingling thrillers, shocking horrors, and edge-of-your-seat suspense added weekly. You'll have unlimited access to stream ad-free online on all of your favorite devices. Shudder has a unique collection of exclusive and original film series, horror classics, and blockbuster hits. You can stream on iPhone, iPad, Apple TV, Xbox One, Amazon Fire TV, Roku, Android devices, and so many more. It makes it so easy to stream your favorite horror content. Mm-hmm. So, Adam, you know, I, I, I've said this before. Amanda and I were, were Shudder uh, subscribers long before they were mm-hmm. uh, sponsors of the show. And you know, I'm I'm not as big into the the slasher movies, but I love those those thrillers, those those twist of plot, those. Oh, oh yeah. my God! I can't believe that that's the way it that that's what turned out. Or right. Or holy cow, that guy's the killer! I can't believe it. I, I love those kind of movies, and and there's nothing better than being able to you know put the kids to bed sit on the couch and, and watch something that, you know, make, makes you, you want to turn the lights on. <laughs> yeah. Makes you not want to go to bed for a while. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So you can get started streaming the best horror thriller and supernatural content with expertly curated titles uh, like the acclaimed Tigers Are Not Afraid, One Cut of the Dead, Revenge, and the Creep Show TV series produced by Greg Nicotero based on the famous films by George Romero. So, to try Shudder free for 30 days, that's a great deal. All you gotta do 
is go to Shudder.com, that's S-H-U-D-D-E-R.com, and use the promo code GRAVE, G-R-A-V-E. That's right, Adam, to try Shudder free for 30 days. Go to Shudder.com, S-H-U-D-D-E-R.com, and use the promo code GRAVE, G-R-A-V-E. Now, this goes on to say that although he had not previously been interested in spirits or spiritualism, Mumler soon began to describe himself as a medium for taking spirit photographs, like Matt was saying. And although the spirit, quote, extras were often unrecognizable and blurred, in many of the cases, they were distinct likenesses of deceased family members and friends. So he quickly became the subject of great controversy. Even the testimony of New York Supreme Court Judge John Edmonds, who had gone to see Mumler, convinced that he was a fraud and left convinced that he could actually produce psychic photographs, failed to quiet the critics and the non-believers. So here's another question that, that we got to look at is if he was a fraud and, you know, producing this image. How would he get an exact likeness of a family member on their picture? You know, right? I, I okay. I can get the you get a blurry image in the background behind, and you say, "Well, that's I, they're just not strong enough to come through." So we don't know who it is. But to get an exact likeness, how do you do that? How do you get an exact likeness of a dead family member on your photograph if you're a fraud? I know, and you know, these were people that that maybe maybe he had seen a, another photograph of when they were alive, but there's a really good chance that they had been dead for so long that there were no existing photographs uh, of this particular person. And he's just you, know, you can't. That's not by chance, right? You know, he's not just oh, this just happens to look like. Uh, your long lost cousin. Right. But I, I thought that was really an interesting point that even if it was, eh, kind of looks like cousin Joe, um, you know, there were some that were dead on, mm-hmm. but it made, it made me wonder, are people seeing what they want to see? You know, are they, they picking out just, yeah, that's, uh, that's old Uncle Leroy's nose or whatever, you know. Yeah. Um, I don't know, but, you know, the the photographs, you know, much like that one that everybody has seen of Mary Todd Lincoln with, you know, Abraham Lincoln behind her. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what these photographs that Mumbler uh, was taking, that's what they look like. Yep, exactly. I mean, so so like Adam said, they they weren't just odd blurs. You know, they were actual figures. So I'm thinking that there were at least, you know, some of these that people were like, bam, that's him. You know, that's, mm-hmm. that's incredible. Yep. And it, it that's one of those questions that I, I still think we need to, we need to look into because it was, it, it was too spot on to me to be fakery or at least normal everyday fakery you know 
something that he would have to research his subjects prior to them coming in to his studio. And if he's got a studio and people are just coming in to do it, that he doesn't have time to go like search through their family history and, and all this stuff. So now Mumler finally left Boston and moved to New York in 1869, where he opened a new studio and he charged as much as $10 per photograph. Well, in 1869, I looked this up. $10 is the equivalent to $189.56 in today's money in 2020. Yeah. So you would be spending $190 on one photograph, and that's just wild. But if you're getting results like that and they're legit, I would spend $200 on a legit proof of a ghost near me. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So if, if they were legit, these that doesn't seem these like ain't glamour much. Shot. These ain't glamour shots, people. Right. Right. Nothing glamorous about these shots. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> hey, that looks like, uh, you know, Cousin Joe wearing a feather boa. Yeah. Got a, a Why is he doing that? leather jacket on with no shirt on underneath it, and it's half unzipped. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. If you're too young to know glamour shots, just go Google search glamour shots. Uh, Man, those are good times. Good times. <laughs> Now, in 1863, uh, a Dr. Child of Philadelphia reported that he found Mumler to be very willing to give him every opportunity to investigate his methods and that he was himself interested in finding a rational solution to this mystery. Well, Mumler permitted Child to watch all of his operations in the darkroom and allowed him to examine all of his apparatus. So Child showed the pictures made during the investigation and he and several friends watched the whole process. Now, from the plate cleaning to the developing and all that in between. Now, he took the precaution to mark each plate with a diamond before it was used. And yet on each was a spirit image. So he even went as far as to he marked the plate so that there was no plate swapping. And that's smart. Right. And on every one that he marked, there was a spirit image. So this goes on to say the child failed completely to discover any human agency that could have formed the spirit extras. And with each of these, they differed considerably from any that he had seen before, and he had no way of imitating them. So it's not a rubber stamp ghost that Mumler's putting on these. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Ghost. <laughs> I made a ghost. The extras that appeared in Mumler's photographs did not meet with universal acclaim, though. And after more controversy, the mayor of New York pressured prosecutors into swearing out a warrant for his arrest on charges of, quote, swindling credulous persons by what he called spirit photographs, end quote. So his trial was widely publicized and he was later acquitted. A number of eminent New Yorkers spoke on his behalf, and in addition, a number of professional photographers also testified that they had studied samples of Mumler's work and had found no evidence of trickery. One of these was Jeremiah Gurney, the famous Broadway photographer, and he testified that he had witnessed Mumler's process, scrutinized everything, and could find nothing that appeared to be fraud or fakery. Mumler was exonerated and his case was dismissed. So that right there says 
he let a lot of people look at it and try to debunk it. And that's not something that most fakes do. They don't invite people in to look at their work and try to debunk it because they know they're going to get found out. So to me. And and Mumbler did it more than once. Exactly. He did it several times. So to me, that gives a little bit of credibility to Mumbler's photography that he took. That's not saying, again, all of the spirit photographs are real because we've already talked about the the weird cotton ectoplasm that you can see when you uh, look up images of it. But I believe that the ones taken by Mumbler, either he was amazing at faking this and he just he knew a process that we still haven't figured out or he was legit. And Mumbler's work was so influential that it it spawned an entire era of you know spirit photography that was fueled by the spiritualism movement of you know the mid to late 1800s the early 1900s um but because this was this was something that people wanted to know more about right they wanted to experience it for themselves you know that that's why these you know the, these mediums and these fortune tellers and these people that advertised that they could communicate with the dead that's why they were able to just make money hand over fist is because there was a a desire there for it mm-hmm. it was it, it was the the hot um the avant-garde thing yep. you know it it was it, it was what people discussed you know after dinner in the in the drawing room over brandy and cigars you know it it was it was what the the ladies would would talk about um you know in, in their uh in their luncheons and things like that. You know, this was, oh, well, I went and saw, you know, so-and-so, and and they they gave me a reading, and I learned all this about, you know, what's going to happen with, you know, our business, or we're going to travel, we're going to – it was a status thing, but, again, it was, it was kind of under the radar. People weren't really sure that – I may not tell you that I like this. It it's it's kind of like saying, "Hey, you know, you like you, you like watching My Little Pony." Yeah, <laughs> me too. You know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and that that's <laughs> but, the thing. There were I, a ton of people were into it, but it yeah. wasn't like not a lot of them would admit it in certain circles because they were afraid of yeah. ridicule. So you may be into it, but then when you're, you know, that that judge that. Uh, tried to prosecute Mumler. He may have been into spiritualism, but he couldn't in that facility say it. He couldn't yeah, admit to it. He had a reputation and it was his job right. to uphold the law. And so, so somebody had come around saying, I, I think he's a, I think he's a fake and you know, he's taking people's money and he's tricking them. So it was his job, even though, you know, when it was all said and done, he may have been like, Hey, uh, how much for a for a, a sitting to get a, a photo of me and my dead brother or something like that? Yeah, right. Um, so you know, you're exactly right. You know, 
And, and it was a high society thing. You know, spiritualism was, was more of an upper class thing because these folks had the time and the money to, to spend on it. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the, the working class was too busy doing all the work, <laughs> yeah, right. you know, to be interested in spiritualism. And, and, you know, even then they may have, they may have dabbled in it, uh, or, or, or they may have had an interest, but you know, they, they weren't diving in head first with dollars, which is, you know, what a lot of these people were. And that's why there were so many fakes is because you, you knew, I mean, there's money out there for the taking. You know, if I could come up with a way to trick these people, they're just going to hand me money. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and again, it makes it really difficult to pick out the ones that might have been the real deal. Mm-hmm. Because there were so many people that were just out there to make a quick buck. And, and a wade through a sea of frauds to find the, the ones yeah. that might be legit. And, you know, there is there is a big push. I mean, even now, you know, within the last few years, there are there are people that are making a push for Mumbler's work to be, you know, studied more scientifically and and taking taken more seriously, because even now it's still considered, you know, a novelty, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, whether it was you know, fancy trickery or whether it was, you know, this guy actually, you know, had some odd ability to take these photographs. It's not, it's still not mainstream, but there, there is a push for people to say, let's, let's look at this with a more analytical eye to, to see, was there really something to this that we're, we're missing looking at it as just kind of a, a an anecdotal you know entertainment right but you know as i said you know mumbler's work did did spur on you know the the use of spirit photography in in a lot of realms and there were a lot of people that tried to replicate his work some were successful many were not um but as you you went into you know the the early to middle 1900s, you you began to see, um, it, it began to wane a little bit, but you you began to see it uh, a rebirth of accidental spiritual photography, which tend to be the coolest ones. Yeah, exactly. You know, we're we're not making an attempt to to capture a ghost, but we've caught something that we didn't see while we were taking the picture, which is, is what we see now um, from paranormal investigators. Mm-hmm. We're snapping pictures just on the chance that there's something there that the film will capture or that the digital camera will grab that we can't see with our naked eye. Now, one of these pictures taken in 1936 is probably one of the most convincing photos uh, of of any kind of spiritual activity, and and this image is known as the Brown Lady of Raynham Hall. Now Raynham Hall is in Norfolk, England, and the photo was taken by Captain Provend. Now Provend was a professional photographer, and he was taking snapshots of the hall 
uh, for Britain's Country Life magazine. Now, his assistant, Indra Shira, actually saw the apparition coming down the staircase and directed Proven to take the photo, even though he saw nothing at the time. Hmm. Now, the image that they captured has been examined by experts many times, and no explanation has ever been given. Now, this is one of these photographs that you probably don't recognize from the name, but it's very recognizable. So in, instead of trying to describe it to you, I'm going to tell you to Google it, and, and we'll post some of these in the group for reference so that when you're listening to the show, you can kind of go back and look at them. Um, but, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, when you when you see the picture, you know, oh, I, I've seen this many times. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, especially if you're, if you're searching anything like pictures of ghosts or anything like that, you're going to see this one. Um, the, the next one is, is another one of those photos. It's one of those that you, you've seen many times. In fact, when I looked up this one, I, I didn't realize what it was until I saw the image and said, huh, I've, I've seen this a bunch. This is the, uh, the tulip staircase ghost. Now, this photograph depicts a cowled figure and was photographed by a Canadian tourist named Reverend R.W. Hardy, who was visiting England in 1966. Now, the photo was taken at the Queen's House in Greenwich, and it was intended to be just of the Grand Tulip Staircase. Now, when the photo was developed, the figure was seen, and it appears that it's climbing the stairs. And, and Adam, you, you've seen this photo. It looks like this white hooded thing reaching up mm-hmm. the staircase, almost like it's sliding up the, up the banister. Yep. It's creepy now, looking. Again, it is creepy looking. And, and, and it's one that you would immediately look at and go, this is fake. Yeah. But this photograph has been examined many times over the years, and it's never been proven to have been altered or faked. So when, when, when we've done research and, and we plug in these search terms, um, you know, certain photos come up and, and this is one that pops up a lot. And the, the one thing, and, and, and Adam and I have mentioned this in several episodes, is the commonality of the staircase in these two famous photographs. Now, it, it all connects with this idea of transitional spaces. And, you know, we, we've space. talked about that many times. Yep. Um, it's those areas that are in between, you know, whether it's staircases or corridors or doorways. I mean, how many how many sightings do we discuss where something is seen at the end of a hallway or darting through a door? Right. Or even a house that's being remodeled. It's in transition. It's in between the state it started in and it's in state. So it's right. technically, you know, you say a house being redone will stir up ghosts. Maybe it's just because it's a liminal area you know right right it's it's going from from one one state to another mm-hmm. you know it's it's from from one main area to another and these transitional spaces are important when we're talking about you know things that are that are paranormal or unseen and this is why you'll see paranormal investigators focus so much attention on these areas especially stairways yeah i mean i I can't even count how many how many ghost sightings that we've talked about on this show that 
inevitably there's one that goes up and down the stairs. Mm-hmm. It's almost like every place. You know, as long as it's got stairs, there's going to be a ghost that goes up and down the stairs. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, you know, it's like my kids. <laughs> if there's a stairwell, my kids are going to be going up and down it. Right. You know, that's just the way it is. I, I don't understand it, but that's what happens. I, so. I get tired of going up and down stairs, so I don't, <laughs> I don't get it. That's why I have no stairs. Yep. I've, I, I've never owned a house that actually had officially stairs. Oh, you yeah. Know, two. Two or three steps, that's the most. No stairs. Yeah, we got a we got a two story, so the yeah. the graveyard no. is up on the second floor. Number one, I'm terrified of my children falling down the stairs <laughs> and you know. Number two, you know, I'm I'm just inviting a ghost to walk up and down my stairs. Yeah, right. So. <laughs> now now this next one is is pretty cool. And and it's another photo that you know, I bet a lot of you have seen and just didn't know the origins of it. Now, in the late 1980s, Judy Huff Feltz and her sister joined Paranormal Research Group, uh, the Ghost Research Society, which was founded by Dale Kaczmarek, whom we've mentioned on this show before. The society planned a trip to the Bachelors Grove Cemetery for the fall of 1991, and it's a place that's kind of believed to be a paranormal hotspot. Now, Judy took a photo that turned out to be quite interesting. And this photo is sometimes referred to as the Madonna of Bachelor's Grove. Now, the camera used by Judy to take the photo was an Olympus automatic 35-millimeter telephoto using 35-millimeter infrared film. Now, after every picture she took, the camera would wind the film inside to the next frame automatically. Now, because of this design, and this is key, it was impossible to double expose the film. That's something we we didn't really get into, but it's you you see it a lot when people are trying to fake these photographs. Mm -hmm. You know, when you've got an automatic camera, you a film camera. You know, so if you're what under the age of twenty five, you 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 may not have ever seen a film camera. Yeah, maybe. (laughs) Um. But, you know, you, you put the film in and you snap the picture and the camera automatically advances the film to the next slide on the negative. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, in older model cameras, you had to wind the film. Now, if, if you're as old as I am or older, um, you've had those pictures come back from a birthday party or vacation where you had the style of camera where you took the picture and you turned the crank, okay? And you turn it till it clicks. So that's told you, okay, I'm at the next slide. Mm -hmm. Snap. Crank, 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 crank. Snap, okay? And then somebody's taking a picture and gets excited and forgets to crank, crank, crank and says, snap again. And now you've got little Tommy blowing out his birthday candles and you've got a picture of balloons on his face and and the clown that was at the party you know in this weird ghosty uh, Mm -hmm. standing right on top of him you know that's what happens you you essentially expose the film to light a second time and it and it captures another image but to in order to fake some of these you could snap that picture and then immediately snap another one after 
a movement occurred to make it appear, you know, that the image was not clear and was a, a, a moving silhouette, so to speak. Right. Okay. So that's, that's how that double exposure works. If you've got an automatic camera, you can't do that. Okay. At, at least not on purpose. Okay. If your camera malfunctions, then yeah, you may get one, but they're not designed for that. And it's, you know, impossible for you to sit there or, or you're going to expose all of your film mm-hmm. and, and you're not going to have anything of any value. So after the photo was taken, it, it took a week to receive the developed photos back from the shop. Yeah, folks, you used to have to send your photos away and it used wait. to take a while. But, you know, when, when Judy got them back, um, she looked at them and realized that one of the pictures she had, there was a woman that was sitting atop, like, a, you know, a gravestone. Um, that she didn't see when she took the photograph. Mm. And so Dale Kazmarek decided that he was going to conduct an investigation with Eastman Kodak on both the negative and the print to try to authenticate it. Now, Kodak was actually able to confirm that the woman was present in both the negative and the print and that double exposure was not possible with the configuration of the camera, and that it had not been doctored to their knowledge. Now, this pretty much ruled out that the photo was altered during or post-development, which means that if it were faked, there would have had to have been an actual person sitting on the headstone in front of the camera, Mm -hmm. which, in all fairness, is possible. It's possible, yeah. But it, it it would have been difficult because the woman in the photo appears to be slightly translucent. Now, supposedly, in an attempt to minimize any kind of interference, only one Ghost Research Society member was allowed into the cemetery at a time. And Judy was the only one present at the time of the photo, hmm. uh, at the time of taking the photo. So they they were actually trying to avoid something like this happening. Yeah. So Smart. in order so I mean with the not being there I don't know but this would have taken some planning. Yeah. Which meant this would have not been accidental. She she would have been she would have had to have developed a plan with another person to say you're going to go and you're going to hide out in this cemetery so that none of these people that are with me know you're there. Right. Now, in 2015, our old buddy, Zach Bagans, uh, he contacted Judy, flew her out to Las Vegas, and interviewed her for an episode of Ghost Adventures. Now, for the sake of the show, he reportedly paid a senior expert in Photoshop $25,000 to authenticate the photo. Okay. So, so Zach is paying an independent expert to check this photo out and see if it's legit. Mm-hmm. The conclusion was reached that there was not technology available in 1991 to fake the photo, as well as the fact that a negative cannot be photoshopped, and it was already confirmed that the woman was on the negative. 
Now, he was able to verify that the negative was from 1991, substantiating the two prior claims. Now, this episode aired on January 2nd, 2016, and you can still go back and watch it and actually uh, see them interview Judy talking about taking the photograph and everything. And you can Google that photograph. You have to you have to Google the, the Bachelors Grove Cemetery ghost photo. That'll get you there, but we'll post it in the group when the episode drops. Now, apparently, Zach also offered to purchase the original negative from Judy to put in his paranormal museum in Las Vegas, but Judy declined. Good. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Good. <laughs> uh, Adam's sitting there like evil Kermit. You know, <laughs> Judy declined. Good. Yeah. Good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now, now the next one uh, that we're going to talk about is uh, a photo of uh, one Robert A. Ferguson. Now, Ferguson was attending a spiritualist convention in Los Angeles back in 1968. Now, one of the attendees decided that they would take a photograph of him. And when he looked at the photograph afterward, he got a pretty big surprise. There was an image in the photograph that was pretty familiar. It was his brother. It was himself. Oh, his yeah. Brother. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's only one problem. Robert Ferguson's brother had passed away during World War II. Hmm. Now, because Robert Ferguson was interested in spiritualists in general, people kind of thought maybe he was a sensitive, and his brother may have been as well. Uh, some people questioned the authenticity of this photograph that was taken at that spiritualist convention, but it was a Polaroid. And there's no way of any kind of Photoshopping a Polaroid picture. Right. I mean, you know, you, you're sitting there, you're gonna, it's going to pop it out, and you're going to watch it develop. What are you going to do? Yeah, if exactly. You do anything to it at all, you're going to be able to tell that something was done. And just kind of screw it up. Yeah, you know? I mean it's gonna it's gonna be it's gonna be useless at that. Mm -hmm. You know, so those are just a few of of the more famous uh, photographs of ghosts. But I chose those because those are the ones that they they can't be debunked. You know, there's you know experts have looked at them. Um, you know, people have tried to to replicate the photo, and they haven't had any success. You know, a, a, a lot of people have taken photos and, and, and they go back and they're like, well, it looks like it could have been photoshopped or, or at least the ability is there. You know, if you, you take a modern photograph and you're going to show somebody and you're going to say, look, you know, you know, you could produce a raw image and, and, and you know, somebody's going to be able to say, yeah, but, right. you know, the, tech, the technology is there and too available for you to really say, is this authentic? Mm -hmm. So, you know, for, for my personal opinion, I, I, I would, I would try taking ghost photos with a Polaroid. Yeah, exactly. Or, or, or at least an automatic 35 millimeter. Yeah. Something you know, that you can more easily say, I would, it would be a stroke of genius if I were able to, fake this yeah yeah 
But you, you see a lot of people using digital cameras, high-speed cameras, really high-end uh, technical equipment to try to capture these photographs. And, and I, you know, I'm always going to look at a photograph like this with a skeptical eye going, yeah. well, I mean, you know, with the technology, I mean, I could take a picture on my iPhone and make it look like there's a ghost in there. Mm-hmm. I there's mean, you can do, do so it. much. But let's say you you want to you want to try, you want to you want to try your hand at capturing a ghost. Well, here's the Graveyard Tales DIY on ghost photography. I wish okay? I had a theme song that we could play. <laughs> Between when you say that and starting it, you know, <laughs> we got it. We'll have to find that. Yeah, we can come so, up with something. These are some tips. On, on capturing ghosts on your camera with, with, with pretty much any camera, okay? So one thing to understand is that ghost photos can happen anywhere and at any time, okay? It, it doesn't necessarily have to be the middle of the night or dark. You know, you can capture them. In the, ghosts don't work on our time frame, okay? Right. You know, everybody kind of makes the assumption that, you know, nighttime is the right time. But it doesn't have to be that way. I mean, your house is still haunted during the day. You know, if you say I live in a haunted house, it's not just haunted at night. It's haunted during the day, too. So I tell you, of all the experiences I've had, over half of them have been during the middle of the day. Right. You know, they they have not all been at night. You know, I've had just as many during the day. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, that's correct. But... Another tip is don't always assume that some place like, uh, you know, a notorious haunted place like an asylum or a former funeral home has activity just because they're supposed to. So you go clicking photos around somewhere and you're like, eh, I didn't, you know, it don't, you know, it, it's not a big deal. You you may not be anywhere that's that's got it just because you think there should be. Right. Um. You know. Ghosts register on a frequency lower than what the human eye can see. And a digital camera can actually pick up lower frequencies and capture them. Now, you can actually test your your digital camera sensitivity to infrared by aiming a remote at your camera and holding down a button while clicking the picture. So take your remote, point it at your camera lens, and hold down the volume button and take a picture of it now you should be able to see the infrared light in your viewfinder Mm -hmm. you should not be able to see the infrared light with your naked eye yeah if you can that's a flashlight (laughs) exactly (laughs) (laughs) and and don't pick up your bluetooth remote and point it at your camera it's not gonna work right (laughs) you're not gonna see a light um Digital cameras can pick up a range of light that's well beyond that of the human eye. Now, they recommend that you shoot photos near mirrors, but not directly into them. Because many times you'll capture ghostly body parts, such as faces. So, yeah, if you're going to stand in front of a mirror and take a picture... You know, and then go, look, I got a picture of a ghost. No, you got a picture of yourself, dummy, holding the camera. Exactly. Why is that ghost (laughs) holding a camera? I don't. 
So yeah, take take the picture near the mirror, but not directly in front of it. Now you're also more likely to capture the the body of a residual haunting than an intelligent one. Okay. Now this makes sense. Adam and I have talked about this before. You know the the difference being, um, you're you're seeing some event that's replayed. You know a, a spirit that may be kind of kind of stuck in time. You know, and and they're doing the same motions. You know, again, that was why we talked about, you know, a ghost may, you know, pass through a wall because when they were alive, there was no wall there. Um, Or that it, uh, you know, it may be appear like it's floating because there were stairs there when they were alive. You know, it's just you're watching a replay if you if you manage to capture it, you know, an intelligent entity. You're you're most likely not going to be able to capture because if if it can interact with you, you know if, if it responds to your presence, you know then it's probably going to respond to you trying to take its photo too. Yep, probably yeah. going to go hide somewhere. It also says that smoke from a fire or a cigarette is dirtier looking than the paranormal smoke that you may capture on film, which. It, it paranormal smoke tends to waft in long streaks as opposed to smoke or fog that clumps and travels as a whole. Um, and, and the spirit kind, it tends to extend out from a, a middle source. Now, some people have actually claimed to have caught gases that are released from dead bodies, also known as corpse gas. Hmm. Corpse gas. That sounds like a, sounds like a, like a, a German metal band. I was going to say it, it's, a, it's a great death metal band from the eighties. <laughs> now, of course, now, now we're kind of getting into some, you know, some, eh, I don't know about this, but we talked about it. So I, I, I'd leave it. Ectoplasm. You know, now, now this whole idea, ectoplasm has the look of orbs and streaks, but it functions more like smoke in pictures. And it shows up in the image like smoke, but it's more solid and and tends to be different colors. And you gotta you gotta you kind of gotta believe in ectoplasm first. You yeah. Know? Um. You know we're it's not Ghostbusters here. Uh, but this one I thought was funny and I left it in. If it's at the top corner of the image, then it's paranormal smoke. If it seems to be coming out of someone's head, it's ectoplasm. Which Adam mentioned, you know, this, it looks like it's oozing out of someone's ears or out of the top of their head, and that was supposedly ectoplasm. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I, I left that in there, but. Yeah, I don't. I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm not going to totally discount the fact that there could be ectoplasm caught in photographs, but. The person that wrote that list seems to be a big believer in the pictures taken at seances during the spiritualist movement, which right. a lot of those need to be discounted because they are they have been debunked, you know. And if you're going to put in your list a a a bullet point that's basically saying you can capture the cotton coming out of a medium's mouth that they're biting down on, I, expect us to ridicule you. You know, it, it's 
I don't uh, I don't agree with that one, but I'm glad you left it in. Yeah. So you may say, okay, Matt, this this all sounds really good, but I'm I'm really not getting any info that's going to significantly help me. So here's here's the technical aspect of it, and 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 this is going to be more beneficial. So it, it's really important not to move the camera while the shutter is open. That's when you get blurred images. Mm-hmm. Dark situations may require a longer shutter speed, which allows more light to be exposed into the film. Now, your handling of the camera may make very small and subtle movements during the time the shutter is open, and the resulting image will be blurry or streaked. Now, a lot of these things that are seen on film may be mistaken for ghosts, but they're usually just streaks or points of light that were captured on a long exposure. Right. So it's best to use a tripod when using a camera that's set to a slower shutter speed. That minimizes the movement of the camera. Now, the the ISO or the film speed determines how sensitive the film is to ca- how sensitive the film or camera is to light. Now, the the ISO, you know, it, that's you know when you buy thirty five millimeter film, you know you've got different speeds, you know, two hundred, mm-hmm. four hundred, eight hundred, and and that that's the sensitivity. You know, you're taking something that's not going to move. You know, you can you can use you know something as low as a one hundred you know, film speed that's going to allow a lot of light onto the, onto the camera. But if there's any movement at all, it's going to produce a blurry image. So like if sure. you're taking a picture on 35 millimeter film uh, of like a sporting event, you're going to want something more like 800. Okay. You're, you're, you're really going to want something that will capture, you know, you know, a moving object without blurring the photograph. So for bright, sunny day photos, you want to use an ISO in the range of 100 to 400. Now, this applies to film, but with um, more advanced digital cameras, like the digital SLR cameras, you can, you can mimic all of these traits that you would if you were using 35 millimeter film. Okay, so you can set these, these speeds for a digital camera to allow more light and, and the resulting image is going to be more like what you would have gotten if you, you, you took it with uh, 35 millimeter film. You know, uh, technology. Mo- most people, yeah, most people that have a, you know, a digital camera, even a fancy one th- they just leave it on automatic. Sure. You know, they're just taking really good pictures and it's fully automatic and it's going to do all the work for you, which is great. But if, if you're really trying to take some advanced photos, um, you know, setting these, you know, putting your camera in manual and, and changing these settings will help. Um, if you're indoors or in a darker situation, using an ISO in the range of 800 or higher is recommended. Now, the f-stop of the camera opens or closes to allow in more or less light depending on the situation. Now, a smaller f-stop means that the aperture is more open. So you're going to get, when the shutter opens, it's going to be much larger. Um, but a larger f-stop means that the aperture is less open. So it's an inverse relationship. So when you're taking these photos in a low-light situation, you know, like ghost hunting, 
you'll always want to be able to allow the most light you can, so you'll want to use a lower f-stop, and you'll do the exact opposite in highlight situations, okay? So always shoot with the highest resolution and the largest picture size. And the zoom on your camera is useless in a paranormal investigation. You want to shoot big and then Mm -hmm. reduce it later if you need to. If you zoom in too tight, you can lose the context of the subject. And and it get then when you go to blow it up later, it gets pixelated and you can't really see well. So you've got a a lot of people make that mistake of I'm going to zoom in on this door. Mm-hmm. You know, because I'm, I feel like I'm too far away. Just take a picture of the door. Just take a picture. Let it yeah. capture, you know, things beyond the outside of the door. You're fine. You can crop later if need be. But if you zoom, I mean, you know this. If you're trying to take a picture, uh, you know, spying on your neighbor across the street, and you try to zoom in and take a picture, look what those weirdos are doing. It gets yeah. grainy. And then, like you were talking about movement, mm-hmm. zoomed in, the slightest movement of your camera makes a big movement on the end. That's so right. you can lose the subject real quickly. Yeah. So you're more apt to capture something. Say you're going to take a picture of a house where people have said, well, we, you, you see an image of, of someone looking out one of the windows. You're better off taking a wide picture of the entire house and zooming in on each window from the actual image than Mm -hmm. trying to zoom in on each individual window and then looking at them later because you're you're not leaving yourself any room right you were talking about you know in in new cameras you can do you can set up things to mimic old um old cameras and old photography styles and that to me is just it's humorous in a way because we've gotten so advanced in technology that we're going to use it to go backwards in technology and mimic poor (laughs) poorer quality and it's funny it serves a purpose but it's still funny to me that we've gotten so advanced that now not only are we this good but now we can we can mimic crappier photography (laughs) you know it it, uh, you make a good point but you know i i think folks that were perfect that were professional photographers that learned all of these the these camera settings and these tricks and how to take that perfect picture on film everything now has gone digital and there's just something about snapping that picture on fully automatic that it just, it's not going to have that same quality and it's not going to give a professional the image that they can use to, you know, to give a customer that perfect picture. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, going back and using the old way, you know, sometimes is better. Yep. You know, I, a lot of times I think it just, the technology is just allowing more people to, to use fancier equipment. You know, we're going to take professional level equipment and we're going to, we're going to create it in such a manner that professionals could use it or amateurs could easily pick it up and go. I mean, I've got one, I've got a really nice fancy camera 
um, that you can take fantastic photographs with. I have no idea what I'm doing when I, if I flip that thing off of a manual. Yeah. I mean, you know, I've got all this stuff and you know, I'm just like, yeah, I've got a really fancy point and shoot camera. <laughs> yeah, we've got one like that too. It, it's, but it is kind of cool to be able to do that. Like for me, it's oh, yeah. like having that option. That means I can learn it, even though yeah, I don't know I all of it to. now. I can learn it, so yeah. it, it's oh, yeah. cool to have. It's there if you, if it's there if you need it, mm-hmm. or, if, or if you want it later. Um, one thing to remember: the Flash is the enemy of the paranormal investigator. It's going to ruin what you're trying to take so it's also the enemy of the bald man (laughs) (laughs) yes i can attest to that yeah so so is a so is a photo in a sunny day you know yep or or to someone wearing glasses or 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 a zoom meeting with overhead lighting (laughs) (laughs) but going dark has become really popular thanks to all of the paranormal shows and so uh, you know the more light that's in a room means you have a lot less need for a flash. And, you know, the less flash means there's a smaller chance of having the flash bounce off anything from dust in the air to a mirror on the wall and, and give you a false image. But one recommendation is take an establishing shot to show the entire environment uh, of the area being investigated. This gives you some context that may be lost if you zoom in. That goes back to not using the zoom. If you enter a room and you feel something, just go with it. Just start snapping a few shots and kind of make a note of why you did it. You know, walked into the bedroom, had a cold chill, snapped four or five quick photos. And so that's why I took these really quick, quick shots. Um, And it says, don't look for your evidence head on. So in in a lot of paranormal photos, you're going to see something that's hiding in the corners. So just because you snapped a photo, the ghost isn't going to be posing in the middle of your picture like, hey, you know, mm-hmm. it, you're going to you're going to capture something near the edges. So when you when you're looking at your photograph, that's where you need to focus uh, your attention. Um, shoot at doorways and shoot rooms at angles, you know, because, you know, corners, um you know, near the ceiling, closer to the floor, you know, that's where you want to focus, you know, your photograph and, and, and snap some shots without focusing, but just holding your camera to the side or, or not looking at what you shoot. You'd be surprised what you can, you can get as well as just turning around and just shooting the camera behind you. Yep. You know, something's behind you and you don't realize it. Just turn your camera around and pop a few shots off. Um, that's a good way to freak yourself out, too. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Especially if you got a buddy that's a butthole, you know. It's like, oh, yeah. You know. <laughs> right. Um, you know, some of these tips kind of kind of wrap up with things like, you know, whenever you find what people say are orbs, most of the time it's just dust reflecting light. Um you know, like we said, digital cameras are sensitive to not only uh, infrared, UV light, you know, large spectrums. So it's not a bad thing to use a digital camera to try to capture, you know, a, a ghost on uh, on a photo. Um, but, you know, you, you shouldn't try to take these in rain or snow or fog because, again, they all reflect light. Um, 
you know, but those are just some of the tips. Uh, if you ever want to go out and do a like, kind of an amateur ghost hunt and you want to see if you can capture something on, on photo, uh, just keep these things in mind and, and right. give it a shot. Hell, just walk around your house. You know, just go around your house and take some pictures. Go to a cemetery. Cemeteries are great. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and so many photos have been captured at cemeteries. You know, just wide shots and just click, 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 and then go back. Because how many times, Adam, have we seen photographs that people have sent us that it's like, here's seven photographs in a row, and the fourth one in the series, you can see this. You know, mm-hmm. it looks like a figure standing here. But, you know, three photos ahead, two photos after, it's not there. Right. You know, and that's really That's what good I was about context. to say. Send us stuff. If yeah. you catch oh, yeah. something, send it to us. You know, but those little things make a difference. If, if you do capture something, you know, given the person you're going to show this to or the people you're going to show this to, a little bit of context. Because a single shot of something can always be faked. Or it could always be an anomaly. But if you've got several shots in a row and only one or two show a specific image, then you're you're giving people some context that makes it a little bit more believable. Mm-hmm. Even to yourself, you know, you may say, well, look, it's not here. One, two, three, number four and five. There it is. Six and seven. It's You don't see it again. Right. Um, so it, it gives you a, a, a little bit more context. So. So, you know, using those tips will kind of help you if you decide to go out on this uh, amateur ghost hunt. Right. And like we said, we've gotten some that are pretty cool that have been sent to us. So if you decide to use any of these tips, then definitely send us the pictures because we always enjoy seeing stuff like that. Even if, you know, like we were talking before, even if a lot of times we look at them skeptically because of what you can do with film now we still want to see these pictures you know so uh the best place to send those photographs is going to be our facebook group Mm -hmm. so uh go check us out we're on social media just go to facebook and and uh search graveyard tales uh you'll find the shows page and you'll find our group um there's a lot of folks in there we've got oh we're we're pushing five thousand members adam Uh, so we got a lot of folks in there that uh, people are sharing stuff every single day. I mean, it, it, it happens so much that I get busy and I can't even keep up. So if you <laughs> yep. posted something a week ago and then you get a notification that I liked it, <laughs> it's because I just got a chance to see it. Yeah, um, ditto. So, so yeah, but jump in there. But we're also on Twitter and Instagram. Just go search Graveyard Tales. And, and while you're at it, you can check out our website. It's graveyardpodcast.com. And on our website... Uh, you can find links to purchase Graveyard Tales merchandise. You can listen to the show. You can find out a little bit more about Adam and myself. And you can become a patron. And now you can actually see the videos of Adam and myself flubbing everything, the un- unedited <laughs> uh, <Exactly>. live video <laughs> that, that, that we've decided to to provide to our patrons as a way to say, uh, thank you and 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 bring you a little bit more into the circle of of the show uh, for helping support it. So, right. And as I always say, please go rate and review us on iTunes. It uh, it brings us up the charts and it helps bring more folks into the graveyard. So 
Until next time, we'll save you a seat in the graveyard. See you soon. The f-stop of the camera. Um, I just lost my spot. Hang on a sec. Make sure I don't have an intruder. That's right. Uh,